Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Annie Dang. Annie is an iOS application developer. Annie has over 20 years of experience in application development, 10 plus years of mobile application development, and 10 plus years of web application development. Annie currently works for American Family Insurance as an iOS application developer. Annie is also the founder of Golden Fireflies LLC, which provides digital services in addition, Annie developed an app called Hmong Phrases to teach simple Hmong phrases to preserve the Hmong language. Annie also developed an app called Hmaholic to teach Southeast Asian recipes. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, we're very excited to learn more about your story today. So Annie, tell us, what was your upbringing like? You know, what was it like for you while you were growing up? Sure. So, well, I was actually born in a Thailand, well, a refugee camp in Thailand. And I uh, came to the United States when I was two years old. So I don't not have any memories of Thailand at all. But uh, I grew up in a, a small little town called Pella, Iowa. And I didn't speak any English. I learned <laughs> I learned English by watching like public access TV, watching Sesame Street and Big Bird and so on and so forth. So I, I self-taught my English, myself English by watching TV. But I didn't speak any because mom was my first language and I didn't speak any English. So I had a really rough adolescence, not being able to speak English properly, talking with an accent, quite bullied a lot, and also suffered a lot of like identity issues because I didn't really know that I was different, you know, because I, you know, no one really tells you that you're different until like, like someone, like someone tells you that you, you look different or you speak different. And that really affected me a lot deeply as a, a child. So I really just tried speaking English and not speak Hmong at all uh, growing up, except my parents spoke it to me. So that's, that's kind of been like most of my life, just really like not knowing who I was and being really confused. And also there was some parts of my life where I actually felt very ashamed to be Asian American, very ashamed to be, to be Hmong, just because I didn't see other people that looked like me besides my, my cousins. And I think that in my youth, that, that deeply affected me. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm so sorry to hear that you had that experience. And I think a lot of Either Asians were, you know, born in America or Asians who are immigrants in America, they go through the same problems too, right? And I think like, especially for myself, like similarly, I also felt very, you know, ashamed to be Asian. I think a lot of people go to school, bring their Asian foods and lunches to school, and they're ashamed that, you know, their lunch is smelly or something like that. I remember there was this one time where my mom had dropped me off to my friends right before school, and my mom would speak to me in Chinese, and I would kind of be ashamed because Chinese people, they speak very loudly. It's very, you know, abrupt. It's very loud. And so I didn't want her to like say anything to me as she was dropping me off to school. And so I just told her to like to be, to be quiet and like don't say anything because I know she would say things very loudly. But now looking back, it's like, 
I wish I didn't feel like that. I feel so bad for feeling like that, you know, because I love my language. Like, I wish that I spoke it a lot more. So that's just a very, very interesting perspective. And I think that a lot of Asians often feel like that, right? Yes, yes. I totally relate to what you just said right there, especially because I think a lot of times, like I, like I said, I didn't remember Thailand at all. My parents were not born in Thailand. They were born in Laos. And so it was different because I would get told to go back, go back to your country. But I didn't know if my country, that we, we Hmong people don't have a country. We just live anywhere in, in Southeast Asia where, you know, we could find some peace. So that was really difficult and challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And Hmong people are one of the most marginalized groups, right? And a lot of people didn't even really know about Hmong people. I think there was like a big kind of knowing and like knowledge that happened about the Hmong ethnic group when Sunisa Lee, you know, made headlines. And then everyone started like, kind of looking into like, oh, who is the Hmong community? And I, I guess that was like a good thing that came out of that experience. But yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people don't even know who Hmong people are. And it's so important that we, you know, put that out there and make people realize and learn more about the Hmong community. So I do want to talk about, you know, just your experience, you know, growing up in the U.S. and how you kind of went through your job experience. And then what made you decide like this uh, Hmong Phrases app was something that the community and the world needed? Sure. So I'm going to take you way back into my childhood. Yeah, of course. Just because I, I grew up, didn't have many friends. I often found myself like reading a lot of books, reading encyclopedias, being in, spending a lot of time, a long time in the public library. And in sixth grade, that's kind of when I met my first Apple computer in the classroom. I really took an interest in playing Oregon Trail, where in the world is Carmen San Diego, learning how to type. Like that was all really new and fascinating to me. And, you know, because I didn't have a lot of friends, I just felt like, you know, computers actually was the very first thing that really brought me happiness, really brought, brought me into a space where I really enjoyed, you know, going on the little adventures in the game and exploring the characters because, you know, I think as a young child, you, you need to socially connect to something. And that was my connection. And so for the next few years, you know, I would take every single computer class possible under the, in class. And even though they were just timing classes, I didn't care as long as I got to, you know, type in the computer. That was, that was awesome. I really wanted to, to build, build games and, you know, make, and I didn't know, I did not know what the word application was back in the old days, but just working in the computer and I wanted to build things in the computer. But I didn't have a teacher that told me that, you know, I would not be successful in that because I'm not a boy and I wasn't a genius. And that was extremely heartbreaking, embarrassing. And I really self-doubted myself at that point, especially because I was looking to her as an authority figure, someone that, you know, probably knew me better than I knew me, right? And so that really disheartened me. But I think I just took that passion of love of computers secretly and I just kind of suppressed it. Still did it on my own, still pursued, you know, as computers were evolving, I was still learning on my own, still doing it on my own time. But that, you know, just hearing somebody tell you you can't do it because I think I felt like my whole life... People kept telling me I couldn't do things because of this or of that, or most likely because I was a girl. And especially because, you know, I didn't look like your typical person that would ever succeed. Right. So I felt really bad about myself, but there was just something deep inside me that I think the passion of and love computers just never went away. And eventually, you know, I was doing web work in my day to day job. I did have a manager that told me that, hey, Annie, you're really good at this. You know, you should go back to school. And at that time, I was like in my 20s, late 20s. And I was thinking like, really? I, I mean, I, at that point, I, I felt like I could do it. But having someone else like say something positive for a change really affected me because even though I was doing web work on the job, I wasn't respected for it because I didn't have the education. I didn't hold the job title. 
And so I, I thought about that and I was like, yeah, I think if it's, it's now or never, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And um, at that point, I was also a, a young mom. I had a son. And so I decided this is going to be, I talked with my husband and I decided this is something that I want to try and want to do. So I went back to school, you know, late as an adult. I think I was about 26 years old and I went back to school. That's like really old. I thought I was going to be like the oldest person in college, but I was really surprised that I wasn't. So I went to the local technical college here in Madison and Madison College. And I saw that like, oh my gosh, there's a ton of people that are like from all different ages, all different walks of life. And I thought, hey, I think this is a this is a good possibility. So for the first 10 years of my life, I was doing web development. I worked for an insurance company here in Madison, Wisconsin. And so I was doing that for a long time. But then I when the iPhone first came out, I was so I thought that was just so fascinating that I thought, hey, I think maybe I could maybe I could do something in this. Like maybe it was kind of scary to change careers at this point because I thought I thought originally thought, oh, I'm just going to be a web developer for forever, right? But then I thought, mm, this this other area really interests me too. And so I went back to school to take like an advanced certificate in iPhone development. And as part of my class project at the end was to build an app. And my teacher said to me, build something that even if you didn't get paid for, you never made any money, something that is you're passionate about, make that, build that. And I thought, okay. And then also at the same time, Apple's ad advertising campaign at the time was like, there's an app for that, right? <laughs> they have an app for everything. So I thought, oh, well, no one's, I did a search and I was like, there's no app for mom. Let me, let me try that. So I had already compiled like, you know, a list pretty much when I tell everybody how my app started, I was like, it started from, from an Excel spreadsheet. That's what, that's what it was. Um, I just had the English word and long words in my native dialect is Hmong green. And so started as a spreadsheet and I just kept adding to it. And as you know, cause I could speak it, but I was not very good at writing it or, or writing out the, the words. And my reading was, I was saying it was good, but not proficient at all. So it was kind of like a study guide. I always felt like this was kind of like a personal gift that I was doing for myself. And I, at the time, I didn't think it, anybody would ever use it. I just wanted to build it and go through the process of how to distribute an app into the app store and launch it. And I was really surprised like the, the first week that I had it out and I was just spreading it to like family and friends that people started downloading it. And that really motivated me that like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to submit my place in this world, trying to put Mom on the map somewhere digitally and also, you know, have it available in both, you know, in Mom White and Mom Green. And that's kind of where the story started. I would say that like, it was just, it was just also fun to like, you know, tell my friends, Hey, you want to learn Hmong? Here's, here's a quick way for you to interact with it. And I really liked app development because it allowed users to interact with the device and at their own pace and the privacy of their own home and practice. My first actual project for school, I just want to clarify, but it wasn't Hmong phrases. It was two other apps called Hmong to English and English to Hmong. And there was no audio. It was just pretty much a direct translation of what the English word was to the Hmong words. And that got my feet wet into the app world. And that's kind of where it's taken off. And I also started doing YouTube at the same time in 2009, 2010, around there. And I was really trying to just embrace like myself being Hmong and what I could do to share my culture, my recipes, just because we were, we're such an, also an oral language, but also with recipes, we never measure and write stuff down. And so I was like, okay, let me take the liberty of doing this because sometimes it's really hard for when you ask for a recipe, it's really hard to, to tell people how to make a recipe if you don't have measurements and don't have instructions. So that's kind of where all my journey went. And then I eventually launched another app called Yomaholic, which 
is my Southeast Asian cookbook. And our foods are, you know, it has like traditional Hmong recipes, but also like our Hmong take on other popular Southeast Asian cuisine. And that's kind of where my ab journey has been. That's amazing. I mean, the last point about the recipes, especially Asian recipes, is so true and accurate because whenever I'm trying to get a recipe from like my mother, she would like tell me all of these recipes and ingredients in Chinese. I'm like, I can't remember all of this. And I have to like take pictures of each one and take the, take the picture of the label and everything. It's so confusing. So I'm glad you're entering into that space and giving that knowledge to other people. But wow, that like there's so much to break down there. I just wanted to say that's incredibly impressive. And I'm so amazed at your journey because the person who had told you that, you know, you wouldn't be able to succeed in this space because you are a woman, because you didn't have the the knowledge or the education, like those kind of words, like they really do hurt, right? And then when people, when there is someone who tells you, like, I think you're good at something, you can possibly become successful in this space doing this, like that makes all the difference. And it really is like a mental thing. When someone tells us we can do it versus telling us that we can't do it, it makes all the difference. And, you know, with you just, you know, having all of these things that were happening in your personal life too, like you already had your child and a lot of people actually, you know, when they see, you know, mothers have, you know, children, that's also like a stereotype too. Like they have these like narratives or like preconceptions that or misconceptions that, you know, like we can't do it because we're a mother or something like that. So I just wanted to commend you for all that you were able to, you know, carry on your back and still push through based on your passions and everything like that. And it's just so amazing what you're building because I do see a lot of people in the Asian community kind of lose touch with, you know, their Asian language and their Asian culture. And it's just natural because we are in America, we're, you know, talking and speaking in English every single day. And, you know, especially when we're like, we're moving out of our own home, like moving away from our parents, we just speak less of our Asian language, right? And it's like, we only see our relatives maybe like once a month or so, and we just kind of lose touch of that. And I love the fact that you're building something so that people can get reconnected with their cultural heritage and their language. I do want to know, though, because, you know, we all know, obviously, Hmong ethnic group and community is like one of the march one of the most marginalized groups in the US. How were you able to kind of like spread the word and the message of your app outside of your friends and family? Or was it like a natural progression? Like people just like did word of mouth and people just started picking up on it and learning about the app. So I think for like the actual marketing of it, just because like I think I was always raised to like do things in the background, not really self-promote, not to your own horn. So that was actually very a very difficult challenge for me to self-promote, I guess, because I think that's in my culture, it's kind of seen as like they you don't ever really boast or brag about yourself. You you do what you can and hopefully wish and hope that other people notice and then praise you for that. And so that's kind of been a really hard thing for me, you know, because with the app, I've been trying to self-promote it you know, like, you know, on Facebook, on, on social media, and then also like, you know, other like Hmong communities, you know, Hmong groups on Facebook to get out there. It has been a, a, had been a real challenge to kind of like get it out there in the, into like the mainstream where people know if they're not actively searching in the app store for, you know, certain key phrases that I have tied to my app, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't find me. The actual time when I actually start to gain traction, sad to say, but great, was in 2021, I went to Apple's entrepreneur camp. I was selected and I was the only one from the United States. So there was like women selected all around the world, women entrepreneurs uh, selected into this uh, entrepreneur camp to get specialized one-on-one help from the Apple engineers and Apple staff. And with that, I think that with all the things that I've learned at the e-camp and the wealth of knowledge and the support and just the amazing talent that 
all of all the people that was participating in the event that I think that propelled me and like really launched me into like believing harder in myself what I was trying to accomplish in the world. And from that experience, you know, thankful for that, that I'm here able today to be able to speak to you on this podcast, that I'm just so grateful for the opportunities to to have people know that I'm out there to listen to my story, to find out who I am and what my mission and what my purpose is. It's amazing. And I think the most like touching thing about the app is that I don't know if you're still doing it now, but I know I was reading an article when you had first started, when you first started Hmong Faces, you were the one who was actually recording your own voice and doing those translations. Do you, are you still doing that today? Oh yeah. I'm still on one, oh, wow. one, one show. <laughs> yeah. I still, I still do the translations and the voiceovers and I'm hoping someday that I would be able to, you know, have a team that would help me. But unfortunately for right now with my limited resources, it's still just all me. I do have some help though. I can't say I take, I can't take the credit all alone. My husband does help me with like testing. My parents do help me proofread and find other phrases that, you know, are commonly used in, you know, our conversation, our daily conversations. And so it's been fun and it's been a, a great ride, like having like my, my sister also and my brothers also like contribute maybe not code wise can't contribute but especially just help me with testing and checking things over it's it's been a family affair <laughs> yeah absolutely that's incredible though i love it and I, I feel like it creates more of like a sense of community when people are knowing that the founder is the one who's doing the actual translations it just kind of creates more of like a sentimental and intimate experience i do want to know you know what is the most touching feedback that you've received from a user. You must have, I know that you have people who want to reconnect with their Hmong identity, but I'm sure there are also a lot of people who are not Hmong or who are non-Asian who also want to learn the Hmong language, right? And so I'm sure you receive a lot of feedback as well. What is the most touching feedback that you have received? So it was probably back in 2000. I want to say, I can't remember the exact date, but it was, it was at least longer than five years ago before I rewrote my app in SwiftUI. It was, it was a, a user that had contacted me and told me that my audio wasn't working. And, you know, of course, with, with positive feedback, you, you try to make your app better, but also with negative feedback, you have to know that like, Oh, it, there's things that I need to fix and make it better for that, for that user. So we tried everything we could to install, uninstall, try to get sound work on his device, but it just wasn't successful. And I felt terrible about it for many years because I, we tried to troubleshoot the issue, but we just couldn't like, it's like when you have a bug and you're trying to find it so that you can fix it, but then it only affected a certain amount of users and not everyone. And so we couldn't reproduce it. So when I finally rewrote my app, and launched it to the store. He was the first person I thought of. And I immediately reached out to him and said, Hey, I'm very sorry. It's taken me a long time, but can you try do- downloading the software to update for the app? Because I have a new release out. And he emailed me back. I, I, cause I wasn't sure. Like I was like, after five years, I was like, is he still even a user? Is he still around? I don't, I don't know. But I was pleasantly surprised that he responded and said, thank you. The sound works great. And he was really excited. He was really happy. And I, and I felt terrible that it had been like, four or five years that we couldn't get it to work for him, but it finally was working for him. And I think that was has been really rewarding because that just reminds me that, you know, I still have to, you know, continue making improvements, continue uh, troubleshooting and finding bugs in the app and squashing them and making sure that it works for them. And that was very touching to me. That's one story. Another story, I would say that another that really touched me are just the maybe second and third generation Hmong Americans who perhaps you know, they grew up with the luxury of having grandparents and parents that spoke Hmong to them, but they primarily did not know how to speak it to the, to back to the elders and they mostly spoke English. And I had someone write to me saying that she was very happy that 
the app was able to, you know, help her learn very basic phrases that she could respond back to her grand her grandmother. And when she did that, it was really she felt really happy that she could, you know, practice it. Because I think with with language and how you pronunciations and your fluency, people look at you differently when you can't pronounce words correctly or you don't know how to say certain phrases. And it can be kind of a little bit embarrassing and then a little bit discouraging when you aren't saying it properly. And so I liked it when they, the first the user said that it allowed her to practice in secret <laughs> and practice alone and, and, you know, get just to kind of like work on the sounds and being able to say it back with them and then surprise them because they're wondering like, where did you learn this from? <laughs> so that was also really what I get a lot of comments like that. Actually, that was that those are some of the more like common ones that I get about just, you know, being able to connect one generation to the next generation. And that means like so much to me. Oh, yeah. My, oh, my gosh. Like that just made me feel so like heartwarmed inside because I couldn't speak to my grandmother on my mom's side because she spoke a different dialect of Chinese. And so even, you know, like throughout her whole life, I wasn't able to speak to her because I never picked up on that dialect. And that just makes me feel so sad. Only if like there was something like an app like yours, you know, for that dialect, that would be so amazing. But I absolutely agree with you. I think even if you like try to translate words into Google Translate, it's not the same. Like it doesn't translate correctly. And so you really do need to know like the exact tones or, you know, the exact translation for you to be able to like communicate effectively to other to other people in that language. I want to know personally, just to kind of switch up the conversation a little bit to you and ask you, how have you personally grown or, you know, what are some of the things that you learned about yourself on this journey while building an app like this? And what kind of like, you know, were you, did you learn more about your cultural heritage? Did you learn more about your family? What are just some of the things that you have, you know, learned or, you know, grown to learn more about, about yourself during this journey? Sure. I think the, the primary growth, like the most growth that I've, I've had in this area of like the app journey is just, um, I want to say just feeling pride for being Hmong because I think that I always say that like my first like 20 years of my life, I was like self-denying who I really was and not accepting, you know, um, I was felt ashamed of who I was, not accepting where I came from you know, because I also grew up very poor, not having like a lot of resources. And so I had to really rely on like my imagination and my curiosity to create things that I couldn't like, mon I couldn't buy mon like with money. Right. And so you know, with even the encouragement of like what my teacher had told me about doing things and building things that you have full passion for, even if you didn't get paid for it, you would still be proud and be happy that you made something and you, you gave a contribution to the world. And I think that has been my greatest value of the work that I do and years of, I would say blood, sweat, tears, but years of dedication into, into, you know, an app that I, I truly believed in that you know, was a gift to myself that I could, I could give to others. It has definitely been a difficult journey just because, you know, I, I'm the type of person that I felt that I've always had really low self-esteem about myself growing up just because I felt like I didn't belong in this world. I didn't, I didn't belong anywhere. It was just a place of, I was really just trying to find my purpose and trying to find my footing. Like I, I felt really lost in the world. And I think getting a little emotional here, but no, um, no worries. <laughs> I just feel that, you know, this is actually a really good journey for myself to kind of put myself back, back on track of like, you know, I do have a purpose and I do have great skills and talents that I can contribute to the world. And if I could use technology, the technology stack that I learned um, 
to to do this, then then do it. And I think that's that's a strength for me because you know I I suffered a lot from you know I I suffered a lot from like also like depression and uh, a lot of um, just insecurities about you know who I was and what you know did I what my value was to the world. And I think as a young girl, when you're told that you can't be someone, you're told that you can't do anything or that you'll never be good enough, that really hurts. And by doing this, I feel, I just feel really proud of where I've come. Like the journey has been long and hard, but super rewarding at the same time, because it's been probably 20 years in the making of being a developer and not being seen. And to finally be seen, um, and to be recognized, I know that um, I have value, and that that's that means a lot to me. I'm tearing up too, Annie. You are doing an amazing job, and I just wanted to say and thank you for you know doing what you do because you're absolutely right. When someone tells you that you know you're you're not going to be able to succeed when you can't do it, and I think a lot of us go through those experiences as Asians living in America, we just have so much pressure. There's like that concept of like, work hard, work hard, work hard. You know, you aren't worth anything unless you have XYZ or anything like that, which is not true at all. But when someone actually tells you like, you can't do something, you actually start to believe it. It's the concept of auto-suggestion, right? And for us to have a community and have this sense of like belonging and a group of people that we can confide in and have commonality with and just to support each other, it means so much, right? And a lot of us as Asians, we go through, you know, so many instances where we don't feel like we are seen. Even for, you know, for myself as an Asian living in America and, and I grew up in America, I I, I often feel like I'm too Asian here, right? And then when I go back to Asia, they can definitely tell that I'm not I, I'm not a native, native and they can definitely tell that I'm not, I wasn't born there. And so I'm being treated there differently as well. And all of our stories are often told by, you know, told in, inaccurately, told incorrectly. And that's why a lot of us feel like our voices aren't being heard. A lot has been changed in the past couple of years, right? And I feel like you know, sadly to say it was like due to the pandemic and um, a lot has changed, but you are definitely doing so much to reconnect people back to their cultural heritage and finding what you were good at, which was developing and mixing it with what you were passionate about, which is your Hmong identity, right? And combining those two things, it really, really kind of created this like sweet spot for you. And I'm just so happy and glad that you are changing the lives of so many other people too, not only in the Hmong community, but people who want to learn more about Hmong culture and Hmong identity. It's, you know, it's incredible and it's very, very monumental what you are doing. So I just wanted to thank you for being vulnerable in this podcast and, and just making a difference for, for all of us. Thank you so much. I think I wanted to add that, especially in my culture, because Girls are not very much, they're not praised as much, especially when I was, uh, a, you know, coming here as a first generation Hmong um, American. Parents did the best job that they could, but they still had the, the old mentality of the girls in the old country where, you know, they didn't invest in as much as they would in a, in a daughter than they would a son. But I'm very blessed because now that I'm able to use my, you know, skills and, and build apps my mom and my dad are extremely proud of me and they love and they tell other people about what I can do and my capabilities. And that makes me feel 
that makes me feel very, very proud that, you know, even as a daughter or a, a girl, that I can amount to something because growing up, I, I didn't feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. And you're showing other people in the community, either like the younger generation or people outside of the Hmong community, you're showing them that it's 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 possible to do something like this too. And, you know, you're, you're definitely making waves in the Hmong community. And I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So I do have a couple of last questions for you. I guess I want to know, like, what is next for you? You know, you have Hmong phrases, you've, you've developed a number of apps already. You have your YouTube channel showing the community, you know, more about Hmong culture, Hmong foods and everything like that. So what's really next for you in the next five to 10 years? So for me, you know, my professional day job is I am an iOS application developer. You know, I'm, I'm at the point of my career where I love making apps. That's what I do every day. And it, it brings me joy and brings me strength. I'm still working on another application, a card game that my husband plays, you know, with uh, with friends. It's a social card game. And so I really want to help him make something. He knows how to play the game and knows all the business rules. So he's like my business analyst that tells me the requirements of what to build. So I've been working with my husband on that and spending time with him to build this into making it come to life has, has been a great journey. And also I have a, like a huge features list of things that I wanted to add to my cookbook and also to my Hmong uh, Phrases app that I'm still working on, hopefully bringing it over to Android and adding more features to the application to, you know, make it better for the, for the end users. So those are some of the goals and things that I've been working on, hopefully to launch before the end of 2022. But I'm continuing to do that. And I think someday in the future for me, I'm also considering um, maybe teaching and trying to get more students into into IT, into tech and being able to see me, because I think that's very important that you sometimes see other people in that space to, to give you that support. And I really want to be that for, for others. Yes, I love it. Especially minority women and Asian women. Like that's so <laughs> needed. More representation is needed for us. So I love that you're doing that. Okay. So one last question. What advice would you have for someone who is trying to get more in touch with their cultural heritage or it could um, be you know someone who's also building an app as well I would say that like for for, for the advice for the someone who wants to build an app I want to say that no idea big or small is is too small so even some of the smallest ideas can lead like and have the greatest impact on the lives of others and so if you have a dream just follow it and do it I want to say there may be, you know, blockers or other forces that may prevent you from reaching your goal, but just continue on your journey to believe in yourself and be de devoted and dedicated to what you want to accomplish. And for those who want to get back in touch with like their identity or their, or their, their roots, I would say that, you know, connect with others, even if it's not building an app, just being able to be in social groups and being able to talk and conversate and and learn more about your culture, but also being able to share with others who you are and bring yourself to to also show them what you can do, what your talents are, and just embrace who you really are. Because I think, I know I sometimes feel like I have deeper, for so long, I didn't know who I was and deeply suppressed that feeling. But I think it's never too late. You're never too old, never too young to find out who you are. And sometimes you're going to be on this journey and discovery over and over again. It's totally okay because we're evolving and we're growing and feeling comfortable in your skin is really important. And just being able to find that inner peace and happiness of, of, grow, of growing. Because I think that growth is, uh, is, is something that sometimes we're going to be stretched to the point where we feel very, very uncomfortable. But 
that means you're growing because if you're not, if you don't feel uncomfortable, you're not really growing. And I think that's been one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is to grow. And I, I, I'm still growing every day. That's amazing advice. And I agree. It's never too late. Like you mentioned, when you had went to school to learn how to develop apps, you thought you were going to be, you know, one of the oldest ones there, <laughs> even though there would be people at all ages who are still on their you know, self-development journey. So just keep that in mind. And that's really great advice. So thank you so much, Annie. And where can our listeners learn more about you and Mong Faces online? Sure. They can go to my website. It's just anniebang.com or they could find me on uh, YouTube. I have a cooking channel called Mong Food. So you can search me up there. And I'm also on all social media. So I was invited. I like having friends. So please add me. Awesome. We will leave all of that in the show notes of this episode. Annie, thank you so much for coming on to our show today. It was amazing hearing your story. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.